Welcome to the Pop Cult Podcast. Here are your hosts Ariana and Seth. Well, we are back with the Pop Cult Podcast, and today we're going to be talking about two different um, television shows that recently concluded, uh, The Book of Boba Fett and Peacemaker. And we're going to start by talking about The Book of Boba Fett. Uh, if you're not familiar, uh, it's based on Star Wars. It's a kind of cult niche film series <laughs> not a lot of people know about. Uh, but yeah, it's part of Disney Plus's recent... Uh, desire to expand the Star Wars universe in the same way they've done with Marvel by having a bunch of spin-off television shows. The Book of Boba Fett spins out directly from events of The Mandalorian Season 2 and features, as the title implies, the bounty hunter character Boba Fett, who had always been kind of an enigmatic sort of side-supporting character in the Star Wars films, but had gained a very rabid following over the years that followed. Uh, there were novelizations and comics and things, but there'd never really been an official canon filmed thing with him that expanded on the character. And so Disney looking to cash in on the excitement that still exists around the character made this show, which I think might have killed the excitement about the character <laughs> officially. Uh, it stars uh, Tamura Morrison as Boba Fett, it also stars um, Ming-Na as his sort of second-in-command, Fennec Shand. Uh, along the way, there's supporting appearances from Jennifer Beals, uh, Danny Trejo, Timothy Oliphant, uh, Amy Sedaris, Stephen Root. You're going to see a lot of people that you saw in The Mandalorian, including Pedro Pascal returning as The Mandalorian. Uh, we'll talk about that strange twist the season took. Um, but yeah, it... My feelings about it are it wasn't good. Uh, it had moments that were good, but overall it was an incredibly disappointing seven episodes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the book of Bo- Boba Fett is uh, to, you know, interpret a song is long and boring. Um, it's, it's, it's really sad because we have flashbacks of uh, Boba Fett being adopted... Oh, by the Tuscan Raiders, yeah. And this is during a time that he should have been like in his twenties. Oh no, 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 no! What is? Yeah, it's. I think part of it is if you're not very familiar with Star Wars, the show does toss you around the timeline quite a bit. Uh, Everything that happens in the show takes place post Return of the Jedi. Yes. So, and I think you are right in that the age of Boba Fett is a point of confusion. Yes. Because he's maybe like. I was going to say 10 to 12 years old in Attack of the Clones, the yes. second prequel movie. Mm-hmm. And Luke Skywalker gets born in the movie that follows that. So we're saying Boba Fett would be about 30. But he looks like a hard 30. <laughs> like, this is a rough 30. Because Tamara Morrison himself is, I think, well in his uh, 50s. He's about, or he's actually about 61 years old. So, <laughs> and it's, it, it, that part's very confusing. And I think they try to narratively excuse it by talking about how he was scarred by the stomach acid of the Sarlacc Pit monster, which was supposed to have killed Boba Fett back in Return of the Jedi. So he's constantly in a beta tank. Back to tank. Back to tank. There you go with your Borf. (laughs) He's in one of them beta tanks. (laughs) 
can't like it I won't know. work unless it's you let the, me the, the problem do it. <laughs> the problem is it's all of this like nerd terminology and all this yes. sci-fi stuff. So like i can't keep up with it borf but- I mean, Beta. we should also be surprised that I know what it is. You should be surprised <laughs> we, you know who Boba Fett is. Uh, um, but yeah, it's... They try to do that, but I don't think it's communicated clearly enough for us to understand. That's why he has the scars. I just kept wondering the whole time. I was like, man, he looks really old. And every time I would try to like put the Star Wars timeline together in my head, it wouldn't make sense that he looked like that. So look, we're right now looking at pictures of the cast. And... Um, Tumor's uh like more uh like Morrison's like teeth were very distracting to me. He's very much had like a lot of dental work done since he started making money doing the Star Wars stuff. Which is it's fine. fine. Yeah, but yeah, it's, it's fine. But it's, it's so distracting when they're doing like scarred up face and then he's got like these straight white teeth. They look like yeah, the celebrity who finally got enough money to cap their teeth. Yes. And, and it doesn't fit Boba Fett at it all. It doesn't fit, especially when he opens his mouth and he's all scarred up and dirty, but the teeth are perfect. Um, so it's a little bizarre. My major problem with Boba Fett was that Boba and Finnick are the same person, but with different backgrounds. They're the, we can't show emotion because I'm so cool. They're that sort of nothing affects them, too cool, stoic, but it's the same character bouncing off the same character. Yes, unlike with The Mandalorian, you know, there is a contrast that he is kind of awkward at times. There are times that it's sort of like he does, like, he can be kind of like very cool, but then he's kind of like, oh God, I don't know how to respond. And then in juxtapose with Groku, you have this sweet, innocent, and so they can bounce off of each other with this father and son um, relationship versus these two outlaws that yeah, are very hesitant. I, and I never, they try to. You were talking about flashbacks. Uh, Throughout, I would say, maybe the first two-thirds of the season, there's this constant jump back, and there's even one episode where the majority of the episode's a flashback um, that is attempting to explain how did we get from Boba Fett Falls in the Sarlacc Pit monster in Jedi to his return in season two of The Mandalorian. Yeah. And part of it involves... He gets captured by uh, sand people, but eventually comes to bond with them. They're being terrorized by the Pikes, who are an off-planet organized crime organization that's trying to um, pick up in the vacuum that Jabba's death has left on Tatooine. And that becomes like the big overarching plot is Fett versus the Pike cartel. But it's not a very compelling story. And... One of the remarks I remember I told you while we were watching episodes is how this just feels like a slightly more violent Power Rangers. Yes. And that's like the level of action. Like the fight scenes are pathetically boring. I mean, it also does feel like a higher end um, like Power Rangers when you have someone doing a spin before they shoot somebody that the spin was unnecessary. It was just... It felt like the cinematography felt Power Rangers-y. It didn't feel... Because when I think of Star Wars, there's a certain feeling, if you go back to the original movies that you have when you watch Star Wars, and it's something that 
Boba Fett, the Book of Boba Fett came nowhere close okay. to capturing that kind of like we're in a sweeping space opera so story. It's it's also having to do is like you said Power Rangers, I said syndicated show Hercules. Oh yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, there's a lot of going on, but the problem was there's like no there wasn't really a lot of like charm to it. Well, Tamara Morrison I haven't seen him in every movie he's made. I feel like in he was in Whale Rider. I think he played the father, and he was okay. I mean, I didn't think he was bad. But I don't know if it's, you know, Star Wars, when you really think about it, has never had the strongest character writing. The characters are very iconic, but they're not very complex and layered. And you kind of need Boba Fett to be that type of character for this show to work. Otherwise, he just comes off as, like, a cartoon character in live action. This is what it was. Yeah, and it was, it was a live action cartoon. And it's funny to me that there's so many, like, hardcore Boba Fett Star Wars fans. They're, like, just so mad about it. And I kind of get it to an extent because it, he's certainly not the cool, badass Boba Fett. Well, it's also- but it's also Disney+, Plus, and they're limited in what they can do. They're never going to give you the, like, gritty, hyper-violent Boba Fett show you want. It's just not going to well, happen. Well, exactly. The thing is, like, Netflix had done an accomplished thing with Punisher and, like... Daredevil and Daredevil all that, yeah. of going a very dark route. But Disney's never going to go that route because they have to have a bright and shiny thing. But here's the weird thing that I've also pointed out to you that ever since we've moved over here is so Disney Plus in the USA is very much this is a family streaming. They've edited like movies like Splash to edit out just yes. the most brief nudity, most inoffensive stuff. Yet, however, here in the Netherlands, whenever I'm scrolling through Instagram, uh, there are like you know, little ads that are for mm-hmm. uh, like Disney Plus, but they're the Hulu shows that are a little bit darker. Yeah, Disney Plus is just like Netflix in Europe. Yes, and so I think that's the confusing thing for me. And it's one of those like Star Star Wars is one of those genres that I feel like if I didn't have a sophisticated palette. I would probably really enjoy because I think we've talked about this before how Mm -hmm. like I do sort of enjoy certain elements of sci-fi there is a part of me that like likes digging like my fingers into it and seeing what other people do but at the same time I get so frustrated with it because it's too childlike well I feel like the difference between Let's say Star Trek and Star Wars. They both had very big low points. <laughs> so I think Star Trek is in one of its like great low points. Despite all like the fervor over things like Discovery, I don't feel that that stuff captures what Star Trek is. So if you look at like the best of Star Trek and the best of Star Wars, Star Wars at its best is a really fun fantasy children's space fairy tale. Yes. And things like The Book of Boba Fett have drifted so far from that that they have a sort of absence of identity. Mm-hmm. I know, um, I think Dave Filoni, who was the um, producer of a lot of the Star Wars animated shows, has kind of been handed the television Star Wars live action development now. And it makes sense. I mean, I haven't watched Clone Wars or Rebels or any of those things, but I know that among Star Wars fans, they are very well received. So if you're making a decision like that, it does make sense. We'll get that guy to make these shows. With the Book of Boba Fett, I don't think I have faith in this man to like make Star Wars content that would engage me. But also I'm like, I'm not a huge Star Wars fan. 
But on the other hand, that's also the kind of person you should probably want to be bringing in because you can only subsist off of people who adore the franchise regardless of what you put out for so long. And uh-huh. you kind of just need normies to consume your product at a certain point. Well, I think it's also... Star Wars is very interesting to me for someone who is like a bystander of sorts. I was never really a huge fan of Star Wars. I was always surrounded by people who were just like, Star Wars is amazing. Star Wars... Like, and I remember as a child constantly falling asleep to one of the films mm-hmm. because it was between the humidity and just being bored with the films at a certain point. And then we did a rewatch of the first three films, and then we I just looked at you and said, like, wow, they really didn't know what the fuck to do with Princess Leia at a certain point. Oh, yeah, huh? Return of the Jedi. Um, or, like, yeah, so you I think, know, like, Han. The um, mishandling of the Star Wars franchise has been present since it began. Yeah, it's <laughs> just, we just have, like, nostalgia hits after 30 years or 20 years, and you go, like, well, that was good. But yeah. that's only because you're able to consume it whichever way you want to. With Boba Fett, it felt like it felt like the writers were like, "Oh man, this is really boring. We can't really make him as a crime lord, and we don't really know how we're gonna make it look like he's gonna clean up the streets." And, yeah, because you know, they don't want to make him a bad guy, but they also want him to be in charge of jobs. Yes, yeah. and then they're just kind of like, "Oh well, like we can't make this like a cool Sopranos version, so let's just make this, uh, yeah. you know." Let's make him a cop without saying he's a cop. I mean, that's basically what it is. He's a cop who took over Jabba's territory. And, like, and it's, it's They're trying to do the Western thing, which can work in Star Wars for sure. But this is not how you would do it. Well, it's like, too many things that are muddled and like don't mesh together yeah, well. Yeah, well, The Mandalorian did Western very well. Yeah, I think it did like Lone Wolf and, and Cub better. Therefore... Yeah. The last few episodes is just a Mandalorian well, show. It's, it's as if the writers went like... It is weird. It's like they went, you know what? This is boring. We need to add something Yeah, because it. it's... You know, episode one through um, four are Boba Fett focused. And it's kind of following a formula in that they'll introduce the sort of conflict for the episode, build on the overarching conflict, and do a flashback. So you just kind of get that repeated yeah. many times. And it's not very fun to watch. Uh, And they do things like they bring in uh, characters from the comic books and the animated stuff into live action, which I'm like, well, that's cool. You know, you get to see that stuff made into official canon by having it in a live action Star Wars thing. And then episode five and six do not feature Boba Fett. It is all about... um, uh, Din Djarin, the Mandalorian, mm-hmm. and the first, the episode five is he is on a sort of space station that's in the orbit of Tatooine, that's the sense I got, mm-hmm. and is dealing with some bounty, and it kind of is catching us up on what's going on with him. He runs into the um, uh, the last remaining Mandalorians, uh-huh. the, the woman who works at the Forge, and then one of the other Mandalores. And there's a whole thing there where he kind of gets booted out of the Mandalorian society. And then and they told him this is the way you can gain it back, just because he took off his helmet, helmet. in front of the baby. But it's also yeah. like this weird thing that, like, I remember us talking about, like, with that, 
was he was mentioning there's different sections of Mandalorian. Yeah, Mandalorians don't all follow one, the same code no matter where you go. And so she was like, oh, that other person was way too rebellious. But there's never like a deeper conversation about like, hey, I've seen other Mandalorians remove their helmet. What is the right way? I think the problem with this goes back to the very nature of Boba Fett's creation was (laughs) they just said, oh, he wears Mandalorian armor. And you can tell that it's sort of Leia kissing Luke. Yeah, we didn't really know where we were going with that when we did it. And so we've retroactively had to, like, fix it. But in fixing it, and you have so many, you know, hands in the the pot working on it, now it's like, well, Boba Fett isn't a Mandalorian. He was wearing Mandalorian armor. And then, oh, well, he got it from his dad, but his dad wasn't a Mandalorian. And so... But his dad, he, it's not really his dad. He's a clone of his dad. Yeah, like. he, but, yeah, but it's not really his dad. He's a clone, so it is him, but a younger version of himself. Like, yeah, it's a mess. But the Mandalorian episodes were probably the best, except for the fact that they want to do CG Luke Skywalker again. And it looks a little better, but it's still so soulless. And there's just, it, it does not read as an actual person. It just reads as, oh, this is someone who they did a deep fake on their face, and the voice doesn't sound right, and it's just weird, and I get well, it why has it's there, kind of. Not, it has none of the charms that Mark Hamill, yes. who, like, I have complicated feelings about. Yeah. Um, but, like... He, there's you, none of the charm that he can put on screen displayed. He, he was so much better. I mean, like, seeing Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi was better than this. Despite what all these little Star Wars nerds will say about how much they hated uh, The Last Jedi and the portrayal of Luke Skywalker, he's a far more interesting, engaging character in that movie than he has been in these two appearances in the TV stuff. like, the weird thing is they do have an actor, Sebastian Stan, who looks a lot like Mark Mark Hamill. cast him as Luke Skywalker. And they could (laughs) have, even if they did, like, the digital, like... Don't even deep fake. Like, the whole thing is, we're adults, Right. I can see a different person playing a role and go, oh, I get it. That's Luke Skywalker. But it's this weird thing that it's like, well, it has to be Mark Hamill. And it only has to be Mark Hamill because he never had a lucrative film career after Star Wars. So in people's brains, he's forever Luke Skywalker. Like, they wouldn't say the same thing about... Oh, I mean, literally, they didn't say the same thing about Han Solo, who they recast as a different actor in another movie... Who wasn't good, Who anyways. was close to the same age as when Harrison Ford was when we first saw him in Star Wars. Oh, like, well, it's... Just cast someone else. And you don't have to do this weird CGI song and dance that, like, makes me not give a shit about what's well, happening. Well, it's one of those things, it's as if, like, they can't let it go. And I understand that certain people are iconic in that character. Then don't show their fucking face. Yeah. Like, have Mark Hamill there while things are doing, like, have him read the lines out loud. And then you bring the person who has to do the, the mouth stuff. Yeah, it's the mouth that's the worst part. The mouth is the worst part. There's no, like... I get that, you know, during this time, Luke Skywalker is supposed to be the most zenest person in the world, but yet there's just have the little that I know of Star Wars, it's just, I feel like I don't get it. Like, I don't get it after, like, this dude doesn't complete his own fucking training to be telling, like, one dude, like, one little dude about what they should be doing or viewing how wrong... I mean, I have this whole complicated feelings also about, like, how Jedis work and how it's 
if you are a Star Wars fan that's sort of like, Jedi should be... No, you're a yeah, fucking idiot. I feel like then. the more they've developed Jedis, the less I like them. Yes. <laughs> they just seem awful. Like, oh, they can have sex, but they're not supposed to have any emotional attachments to stuff. Because I'm, I'm like... Yeah. It just seems like uh, a... Um, incel decided to like flesh out the whole Jedi concept. I think it's also it was like someone who like really loved the idea of like monks that learn how to fight and meditate but then went like oh they can't do this and not understanding that certain monks can get married and have children or they can just base themselves within the temple and it is not that you are um void of any emotion it just means that you know how to control your emotions and your emotions are supposed to be like a river like watch the it watch it through it's just it's well it's one of those things where i felt like star wars has kind of made jedis boring at this point yes when you think about how much the movies like it's all about jedis at this point now they've managed to make bounty hunters just as boring after uh, the Book of Boba Fett. Well, where I'm like, he's not a bounty hunter at this point. He's just some dude who took over a place because he's mad that his ex-employer got him, you know, killed. Yeah. When like the Mandalorian would have been like, that's part of your fucking job. And so the the season ends with like a big fight that it's kind of been building to, but. I didn't anticipate the fight in any way. Like, I had no excitement about it. It just kind of happens. There's some over-the-top stuff with a rancor that's introduced. But it just... The whole season felt very aimless. And yeah. it was weird. It felt like... I never got the sense that there was a plan. It just felt like they would throw things into this a script. Was, and then this would happen. And then this would happen. This was, was the worst workers' rights <laughs> series ever when you think about it because the reason he took over was he was mad at boba because he like at like jabba jabba because he died like he was sent on a mission and he almost died so he's like oh fuck this dude i'd never want to work for someone like that again i'm taking over his territory and all the people that are like you know the last like big boss at the end he was pretty cool to look at i'll be honest but like the the twins that were like, oh, this is our territory, and then oh, they his give cousins. it up. Yeah, like, there, yeah, there's a whole, like, very brief subplot with Jabba's cousins who you think, oh, like, they're going to be antagonists, right? And they're just going to show up and are like, uh, no, here's a rancor, bye. And you're like, <laughs> well, okay. Uh, the, they try to add in maybe some noir-ish elements because there's, yeah. like, a nightclub and there's a corrupt mayor who's working with the organized crime. But all of these things... They miss the the key ingredient when you're doing westerns and noir, and it's called atmosphere. You have to create a tone, and this show has no tone. It has no feeling. There is no. It just feels artificial and fake. And it's one of those things where I realize, like, I feel as if Disney has created almost a new genre of television that feels completely lacking in personality. Yes. It is just the most like factory processed television because you look at a lot of the Marvel content they're putting out and it just feels very like we have no interest in exceeding your expectations. We're going to give you exactly the thing you wanted or worse and that will be it. <laughs> and- well, it's it's kind of like, the, okay, so my favorite so far of like the Marvel and Star Wars stuff has been Scarlet, like WandaVision. Yeah. 
because it was most creative. So it felt like, and it was also. And even when we say most creative, that's like of Marvel stuff, which still isn't very creative. And like the funny thing is, like I liked the whole idea that she was obsessed with television shows because I was like telling you, I looked at you as someone who's bilingual. I was like, it's going to be because that's how she learned English. Yeah. And boom, they did it, and I was just like, oh, thank you. When I feel like that show had the best emotional arc of any of the Marvel Star Wars stuff. It was also because like when you view it, the main actress Elizabeth Olsen who like had talked about how she wanted to play Wanda going fucking nuts for a long yeah. ass time. And that was cool. Then we go to like Falcon and Winter Soldier. We're not going to go through every Marvel. Boring. <laughs> boring, boring, Mandalorian. All right. I think the second the season. The first season I did not like. The second season I liked a lot second better. Season. And then we get to this and it's so bland and so boring and... It feels like an. A it was a chore of, to get through. Yes, it was a chore to get through, um, and it was as if like, uh, like Dallas Howard. Oh, Bryce, Bryce Dallas Howard. Like came in, and they're telling her, "Hey, we want you to direct a thing. You know, nepotism. Your dad." And she goes, "I'm only doing it if the Mandalorian's in it." Well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> she directed the episode five, which was called "The Return of the Mandalorian," and is the best episode of the whole yes, season. And it's. And doesn't have Boba Fett in it, which probably not a good sign that your show, The Book of Boba Fett's Best Episode, does not feature your main character. And the thing is, Boba Fett would have done better as perhaps being a fatherly figure towards someone like the Mandalorian. Like a mentor or something. Like a mentor that he comes back to versus whatever the fuck this was. Yeah, because I didn't really understand what was his end goal or like... Why was, like, I kind of understood why he was doing what he was doing, but there was also part of me that was like, I don't understand this guy. And he's not compelling. And it's hurt by Tamara Morrison's very stiff performance and just poor writing and planning for, like, because if you ask me, well, what is the season, the season one of The Book of Boba Fett about? I'd be like, I don't really know. It's just, yeah. like, about also, a lot I, of I things. Think about, like, I think it's a little uncomfortable to think that the the family that he got to adopted in were kind of treating him like a slave at the beginning and okay, so yeah, it's implied that's what they were doing normally anyway and so suddenly like he you mean the sand people the sand people yeah. and then suddenly like they're they're okay because he helped them fight but you didn't really get a sense of a bond and it's that awkwardness that like we don't even get fucking subtitles because, you know, it's Star Wars. We're not supposed to understand what the other person's saying. Well, they're very... In Star Wars, it's always been weird about when they give you subtitles yes. and when they don't. and so I felt like that would have been important for us to, like, see a bond forming versus we're just getting it through him. And he's not even speaking in full sentences because he's sort of, like, trying to make himself understood. And then they die and he wants to, like, you know... But I, I think the person to blame for all of this, John Favreau wrote every episode of that show. Who's John Favreau again? Directed, um, he plays Happy Hogan in these Marvel <sighs> movies. Yeah, this is yeah because I mean, he's yeah he basically I guess has a lifetime contract with Disney at this point. Yeah, I mean we've talked about the fact that I have a very high dislike about this dude because I think about what was it that Chef movie and I'm like, oh, dude, if you just wanted to fuck Scarlett Johansson in a movie, can you just fucking say well, it I mean, out loud? I would loud? say Boba Fett is the chef of Star Wars content in that it doesn't have a point. It's just kind of like... A bunch of other people love it. Yeah, there, there's some people really love it for some, you know, reason that makes no sense. Um, and it's just... 
I don't really understand the point of it. It just seems like a complete vanity project with no purpose. He is also showing you that, like, there is a problem that... I remember before that, like, you would say this and other people would be like, oh, I hate it when, like, fans write stuff. Mm -hmm. He... He is not a fucking fan, though. I've never heard him go like, man, I fucking love Star Wars. Like, read every fucking book. Like, there has to be some fucking enthusiasm. It's one of those those things where it's like, most people in America would probably say they like Star Wars to an extent. Right? Most people. Not everyone. But I almost feel like, even then, it's, you need to be a really good writer first and a fan second. And I don't, I don't know if he's a very good writer. (laughs) Because when I think about John Favreau's movies, I've never been extremely wowed by anything. I mean, I, going back to Swingers, like I don't know, it's all fine. I've never enjoyed any of his fucking films. I've, made I laughed at, but that was more Vince Vaughn improving than it was anything John Favreau did. It, it's just it's. But yeah, it's. I've never understood the appeal of John Favreau because even the. First Iron Man movie, I don't think is a very good movie. But that movie is mostly improvised, which shows no. you, like, that is, I'm sorry, that is all Robert Downey Jr. I have not seen the first one in a long time. That means, like, that dude has incredible muscles, like, brain muscles to be doing that. And it just shows how fucking lazy he is as a goddamn writer. John Favreau? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I just don't, especially after seeing Chef, which I think is his most recent film. I just don't understand why he keeps getting work. Because and Chef was like insulting because the dude made Cuban food, wasn't Cuban himself. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a whole other conversation. Uh, <laughs> uh, stop giving him work, Disney. I know they are not going to listen. Like, they don't maybe, care. Not necessarily don't give him work, but maybe let someone else have a crack at Star Wars because he was he very much helmed the Mandalorian too. And I feel like we kind of need another voice or another. I mean, bring in Guillermo del Toro. Think about a Guillermo del Toro Star Wars. My God, it would be amazing. Bring someone else completely new. They're not going to. Well, see, here's the problem with Disney. When they do bring in someone who's entirely new, look at the Marvel movies. And they hire someone like a Chloe Zhao or uh, the couple that... or Daniel Critton, who directed um, Short Term 12 to do Shang-Chi. Like... They're not allowed to make the, a movie. They're just... Be, it's like a job. It's a job. They're like a temp where they've been brought in by Disney to do the work that's already laid out for them. And to, like, for those movies, there's a, a pretty substantiated rumor that's gone around that uh, Marvel will pre-planned storyboard and like digitally render action sequences before they've even hired a director. So when you see big, epic set pieces in a Marvel movie the director had no real say in that sequence, which is why something like a Black Widow feels just like a complete nutter mess. And, and I think maybe that might be happening with some Star Wars stuff. Now, John Favreau has enough cachet that I think he probably is getting to pick and choose those things. It's not when they like bring in some rando indie director. But yeah, it's... Like I said, if you haven't watched The Book of Boba Fett and you do, I want you to really notice the lack of personality it is such a flat dull thing outside of the mandalorian stuff and like amy sedaris reprising her role she's okay and then um david pasquizi has a small role as a twi'lek who works for the mayor yeah and he's pretty good given what he's given yeah but like yeah and then most... at a certain point like shit started to look very cheap yeah the last episode 
it almost feels like you can pinpoint where the budget started to run out and because remember, the rancor does not look as good as I would. Well, it's also it like one of the designers was pissed off because like the mods weren't using zippers, and he was told that when he was making the design for the films, he couldn't use zippers. Oh yeah, because yeah Star because Wars doesn't have there's zippers. There's uh, a biker gang of teenagers who they're called mods, and that's because they are like cybernetically modified. And yeah, they wearing they're wearing jackets with zippers. And there was an artist, I forget who it was, he works in comic books, but I remember reading an interview where, or it was a comment he made on Twitter that he was upset that he noticed the zippers while he was watching, and he specifically had been told, working on like The Last Jedi or Rise of Skywalker, as recent as that, that he could not draw zippers on the outfits because there are no zippers in the Star Wars universe, which then Mm -hmm. implies to me that their budget was so low with the Book of Boba Fett, they were just like, fuck it, they have zippers now, I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, it's... No, they have to have zippers on this. <laughs> John Favreau strikes me as like a real life version of a Brad Pitt character. Like he's always walking around eating something. I don't know why I think that, but always Moist like, no, mouth. Just, no, no, just like peanuts or something in his hand at all times. He's just the kind of guy he is. But yeah, so that's our thoughts on the Book of Boba Fett. Uh, I am very interested to hear from anyone else and what they think about this because I most of the opinions I've seen are very like middle of the road or they actively dislike it so if there's someone out there that has a passionate love of the book of boba fett i would love to hear from you and i really want to know your argument for why it's a very good show because i'm always up to being convinced that i'm wrong and it's happened before many many times uh but yeah i'm interested to know what other people out there think about the book of boba fett Uh, we're gonna take a short break and when we come back we're gonna talk about hbo max's the peacemaker We're back, and now we're going to talk about HBO Max's Peacemaker. Uh, Our audience before might have been more familiar with uh, Boba Fett. This one, there might be less people, though it has been a very successful show for HBO Max. It is a direct spinoff of James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, which came out last summer and was actually on my top 20 list of the year, something I did not expect would ever happen with any of these superhero movies. Yeah. Um, it stars John Cena as Peacemaker, whose real name is Christopher Smith. He was raised by a white supremacist, uh, Augie, played by Robert Patrick, and sort of brainwashed into becoming a super soldier but without superpowers, and eventually became a, a vigil ante and was imprisoned, and that's how he ended up in The Suicide Squad. By the end of that movie, he's... Uh, released to um, Amelia Harcourt and John Economos, who are work for Amanda Waller, the head of the Suicide Squad, and they're kind of sent off on a little side mission, which is what this show is about. Uh, they return to uh, Peacemaker's hometown, which is somewhere in like the Pacific Northwest, it appears. Yeah. Even though his dad has like a very thick Southern accent. Yeah. But there is like a very strong contingent of like white supremacy in the PNW. Yeah. Um, He is joined by, of course, as we said, Amelia Harcourt, played by Jennifer Holland, and John Economos, played by Steve Agee. Uh, Additionally, uh, a woman named Leota Adebayo, 
uh, is tossed into the team. And she's played by Danielle Brooks, who you would probably remember from Orange is the New Black if you saw that show. Uh, and they are meant to uncover some sort of alien infiltration of Earth, is what it appears. The yes. show kind of delivers the crumbs of that mystery out over the course of the season. Uh, they're guided by a man named Mr. Mern, who uh, seems to have a lot of knowledge about whatever this is. And along the way, they encounter um, Judo Master, who is another sort of obscure comic book character, and also Vigilante, who ends up believing he is Peacemaker's best friend. And by the end of the show, I would say he probably becomes that. One of. Yeah, but it's very much a an action comedy. If you've ever seen anything by James Gunn, it is right in his wheelhouse. He writes, directs, produced a lot of it, and has a very, um, oh, what's the word, like very like transgressive kind of tone to it where it's yeah. it's the violence is very over the top the comedy uh is pretty juvenile uh and it it's one of those where you know depending on how you feel about all that stuff you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it yeah uh so what did you think of just overall what did you think of peacemaker i think it was a pretty good show it was i mean the theme song was was an earworm for sure oh yeah sure. i don't think he could have picked a song better to just drill into your brain and, and stick this with you. is very much within james gunn's like own personal aesthetic and liking which um i don't know if he i don't know if we'll ever get anything that's more james gunn than this between his nerdy uh well, this is interest like, and he keeps getting love of music bigger budgets but still somehow is able to like I feel like with DC, he's really been able to be much more James Gunn than he has with Marvel. Yes. Because with Guardians of the Galaxy, he's certainly toned it down when you look at something like The Suicide Squad or Peacemaker. <laughs> yes. Um, it's a pretty good show. I, I'm trying to think to myself, would this be the type of show that I would watch with or without your influence? And I'm not really sure. It's what... It can be like pretty bleak at times when you think about it. Oh yeah. It's... Um, the one thing I do have to appreciate is like John Cena's never been in something where I thought to myself like, oh fuck, <laughs> like that I that I dislike his performance. It feels like John Cena's always giving a hundred and ten percent. If we're talking about Fast and Furious, he still give he still gives. Nah, he does his performance in Fast and Furious isn't very good because he doesn't have anything to perform. But I think with Fast and Furious, they didn't want him to outshine of Vin, Vin, yeah, Vin Diesel. Diesel because Vin Diesel is notorious by if someone is like well, outshines I mean, him, he will. That's why The Rock isn't in the franchise anymore, is because he just got tired of Vin Diesel's shit, so they gave him a spinoff movie. And now that they he asked him yeah, to come back, he, he won't, won't come do back. It. Yeah, Vin Diesel was like. <laughs> you know, your family and all this. But, like, trying to implore him on social media was very pathetic. But, but beyond just that, John yeah. Cena's great in this. Um... Well, I think John Cena is very funny. Yeah. The I, When I think about how, well, the things I've seen him in, he always is very funny. Well, I think it also is, like, this weird thing that nobody really talks about, that wrestlers have to be good improvisers. Mm -hmm. Because since they're you know drilling in insults to one another they have to be pretty clever and also have a sense of humor about themselves and also like you plan a wrestling match but there's all sorts of things that cannot go the way you wanted yeah. and so it's being able to like bounce off of that and keep it going yes. and make it feel like this is all natural and it's also because that also means he 
how many times can I say also? Um, <laughs> he is very much an entertainer. Oh, yeah. Like, he wants to make sure that everybody has a great time. Uh, Peacemaker was amazing. Uh, Vigilante, v- Vigilante mm-hmm. <laughs> almost stole the show when you think about it. I was going to say that, like, I don't know. There was a... I've read other reviews where they talked about how much they hated Vigilante at first. Yeah. But then by the end of the season, you like him a lot more than you started out. Yes. And that is very understandable because it's like, he's basically spelling out to you that he is a social... Oh yeah, he is... Morally, he is the like worst character in the entire show. Because Um, he has no empathy for anyone. (laughs) Yeah, he's sort of like, oh, Peacemaker is my best friend. Um, and I'm his best friend when that's not really the case. Um, and he's like, well, you know, you, you kill a bad guy and that's it. And sometimes they're innocent, but you know, whatever it happens. And like they started, somebody had mentioned white supremacy and we're like implying that he was racist. And he was saying that I probably killed more white people than yeah, killed black the, people. Yeah. Like it's, he's a character that he hates racists but he just kind of like hates everybody yes like there's, he doesn't differentiate it's just sort of if you were perceive, perceived as a bad guy by him he'll just kill you and it's kind of he doesn't care the one person i have to admit that i was kind of glad to see and it's because i it's one of those because we know a little bit more about comedy than the average person is steve algy ag ag yeah. and i'm kind of always glad to see him working i don't know he's I don't know how I feel about him in this because part of me, and I don't know if this was the writing because I wouldn't say I'm a James Gunn fan. I yeah. like respect James Gunn and he's mm-hmm. made many movies I enjoy. But one of the problems with James Gunn is that there are moments where he veers into Kevin Smith territory okay. where it becomes very like grating, like trying, you really like, respected quentin tarantino's dialogue so you're trying to like mimic that but also make it about pop culture stuff or make a joke go on for too long about something to do with steve ag i feel like the character of john economos ends up being a character who ends up in those conversations a lot yes and it made me dislike the character so it's one of those where I'm not sure if it's the material AG was given or if I didn't like the way AG was delivering it. I think it was the material at the end of the yeah. day. Because I did like the Because it did that... happen with other characters, too. Yeah. Yes. I think it's... With uh, with him, it's a little bit more obvious because you have an overweight guy with uh He feels very much in that kind of, like, nerd dialogue. Yes. And especially because he's constantly... He's the IT guy at the end of the day. So you're... You're putting him in a in a little box that he needs to fit into. And when we talked about the how Bo and Boba Fett, that Boba and Fennec Shand have way too similar personalities. Yes. I do feel like there are some characters in Peacemaker who aren't differentiated enough from the other characters to yeah. make them stand out enough. Yeah. Like there's some characters that just feel very generic. Like I would say John Economos, to a degree, has a kind of generic feel sometimes. Same thing with Amelia Harcourt. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when you're up against, like, you know, a- Vigilante, who is such a distinct personality. Yeah, or, like, uh, or, Leota that's, like, constantly panicking, feeling like she, yes. she shouldn't be there. And with, like, Amelia Harcourt, it's hard to, like, tell you too many things about that character. You're just sort of like, well, she's, you know, she seems like she's been exposed to a lot of things and kind of hardened herself 
She's dedicated to the job. She hates Amanda like Waller. Waller. But it's like I don't really know much about her. Yeah. Everything we know about her is related to this job. But the same cannot be said about like Peacemaker or Leota. We know a lot more about them outside of what they're doing. Well, right Leota, now. we know immediately who she is. Like oh, yeah, the she's first introduced scene. with her wife and everything. Yeah, she's introduced with her wife, her two little dogs, and then she's going to go into a job, yeah. and that she's kind of like. And without spoiling anything, we learn a big thing about her at the end of the season. Yeah, which I kind of started to pick up on, and other people might have, but like those add to her and make her more than just an agent on this mission. But like yeah. John Economos. Outside of his work for Task Force X, what do I know about him? Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and so maybe that's something that if they get a season two, I'm not sure if the show's been renewed, not or yet. Like, maybe they'll go more in depth into his background. I know I just finished reading the entire run of the first Suicide Squad series, which is where John Economos was introduced. Yeah. And he's a very different character. He's the warden of the prison there. And even there, like, he's there at the beginning, but as the series goes on, it's such a large cast that he kind of gets forgotten mm-hmm. and tossed by the wayside. So, yeah, there's there's little things like that. Overall, like, when it comes to the, the big plot, yeah. the big narrative arc, how did you feel about that? Uh, I thought it was good. I mean, it's... If, if you were, like, it just was a longer version of, of the the suicide squad movie it did feel like especially at the end where they have like the big bug thing yeah i felt like huh this is kind of a retread of starro in a, a bit ha- yeah and it's hard not to get away from that because if you're especially if you're just going with like comic book uh like ideas it's always going to be like the big bad at the end of the day that you have to destroy but like all of this stuff with they call them the butterflies and everything this i'm not aware of this being a storyline from the comics so it, for my knowledge, this is an invention by James Gunn. So it's weird that he would then mimic something he'd just done with Peacemaker. In I mean, I wouldn't movie? be surprised if Warner Brothers told him just go do that again, do that again. And it's also maybe it was something that he wanted to do. There was um, again, there are morals to the stories that are put in there, and you're questioning as to why. Because yeah, there kind of ends up being two plot lines. There's the butterflies. And then there's uh, Peacemaker's dad and the white supremacist group he's a part yeah. of. And they both get resolved. Like, that's one thing is, like, James Gunn, I think, is very great at story structure and finding character moments for his, like, main characters. Yeah. Uh, it's a, I, I like the show more for the humor than the action or the story, really. There's a recurring character uh, who's a janitor that Peacemaker meets at the hospital he's staying yes. at at the opening of the show. And then he, like, tells the guy he owes him. And then halfway through the season, the guy calls in Peacemaker to his niece's career day at school. And so it's, like, stuff like that that has nothing to do with the overall plot. I enjoyed those moments the most. Yeah. Where it was just kind of silly. Yeah. Uh, It's probably, like, with the Suicide Squad, it's one of the better pieces of the DC Extended Universe. Yes. Media that they've put out. Yeah. yeah, it's just, it's a show that I think is certainly worth watching. Like, if you're comparing it to the book of Boba Fett, and I think they have very similar main characters who are, they're not heroes in a traditional sense. They're very anti-hero-ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is 
far and away the there better show. There is more character development oh, at the yes. end of the day because yes. at, at like I yeah, I felt something watching this show well, as opposed to Boba Fett. Like when we talked about Boba Fett, the lack of personality. Yes, this show is like overflowing with personality. Well, I think it's one of those one of the things I really did enjoy about the show was this constant talk about best friends because even though that sounds very childish. I do feel as for human connections, it's very important for people to have friends and people that they rely on, you know, you know, an outside unit of what your family is, especially if you had a shitty family like he did where he needs to mm-hmm. recreate those people. And there's a joke about ranking of best friends that Eagly's his best friend. And oh, before, yeah, we didn't talk about Eagly. Eagly, <laughs> who becomes like this weird representations of miracles. To, Somebody to, was saying <laughs> Eagly is the Grogu of Peacemaker. Oh, that was James Gunn himself. Yeah, his said comment. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. he said that when he introduced Eagly, people were like, no. And he was like, I know what I'm doing. It's our baby because Yoda. It's yeah. like, because he talked about how when he was bringing Grogu, people were like, this is dumb. You shouldn't do it. And it was like, and it's, and, and Grogu. You know, you're talking about show. Groot. You're talking Groot. about Groot. I was saying that Eagly is the baby Yoda of Peacemaker. Oh, yeah. And so, um, but it's. But I think, yeah, Groot serves a similar purpose. Yes. They're the cute little side character yes. that you can make a toy out of. And the thing is, like, um, the rankings of best friends, and it's also sort of like how Peacemaker has to go through all these emotional arcs. And they're all, like, there is, he's filled with regret. He's filled with confusion that we don't see in Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. Like, he actually struggles. Yes. And I wouldn't say there's ever really a moment. Where or Peacemaker emotionally struggles, Boba Fett never emotionally struggles once. Yes, and so like there is a moment that, for example, Peacemaker is sent on a mission. He's never really fully told the whole mission. Um, there's only two people that know, and that's Amelia Harcourt and uh, like uh, Mur, and the know what's going on completely. And so he's like, they told him that you have to shoot this family, and he. he's basically having an anxiety attack while holding his gun because he's refusing to kill anymore and he has flashbacks of like what happened in Suicide Squad 2 where he killed someone and they're like oh of course you would be that person was basically the last yeah it's the the show does tackle like that killing someone isn't just like a, a simple thing that you realize, like, oh, it's a lot more complex and it's, and it's messy. The, and, yeah, like, and I think that's one of the things with James Gunn and Gore is there, it's, there's a slapstick element, but there's also, like, a no, this is what really happens. When you, like, shoot someone with a shotgun, there's a lot of blood and viscera. And I think And you feel it. And there's, like, blood on the floor and you slip and fall. Yeah, and, and so I think uh, Vigilante was supposed to be, like, the opposite of mm-hmm. Peacemaker at the end of the day. Peacemaker was carrying so much guilt after everything that he'd done. And it was a, a fucked up way of saying that his time in prison and dealing with all this did reform him in a fucked up way. And Vigilante, on the other hand, just views it as black and white justice being served. And, and so I'm wondering so, if we'll get more into Vigilante's backstory in a second season. Like, how did he end up like this? Yes. And sort of like that is the moment that really sells Peacemaker to being like, oh, this is an adult version of a comic book of sorts because like the deaths start to haunt him and even afterwards like not to spoil it he starts having flashes of a certain person 
because well, I'd say if anyone's ever read the Peacemaker character in comics, which is probably a remarkably small number of people, <laughs> uh, it does follow with an element of what happens to that character in the comics. Yeah. So it is a better show at the end of the day. Um, oh yeah, I mean, if you were having to choose between the two, Peacemaker, there's not even like a debate. It's just yes. watch it. Um, I would say there's one character I did feel did get wasted. Was that Judo Master? Ultimately, like when you think about where what Judo Master does and where he ends up, he's mainly like a slapstick element in the show and not a fully fleshed out character. Well, I, I, that's why you kind of like hope for a second season of sorts, especially to discover. I do like the fact that he kept getting away. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, he's, yeah, he's a comedy character, but I mean, it's hard to say he's even like a full character because we talked about not knowing much about Amelia Harcourt. Judo Master is a like muscle for hire. Yeah, that's as much as I can. And he loves eating Cheetos. That's the hot Cheetos. Hot Cheetos. Those are like the two things I know about. But him. I di- but despite that, I still got stronger emotional reactions from that character, which we barely saw. True. Versus at least I'd laugh at something. The he whole did. thing yeah. about like Boba Fett because even he has an emotional side when he sees what happens to the outcome of the people that he's been trying to protect and he starts screaming and there's crying like versus Boba Fett who feels nothing barely anything for anybody true but yeah it's there Warner does have plans I think the next series that is coming out or no it'd be their HBO Max has a movie that they've made from the DC extended universe back Watch it.